Please join me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, lead us to love you first and best, and then, empowered by your grace, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you for an opportunity to be in your word, to be in a solemn place at a solemn time, to be led in the marvelous songs of eternity and the songs of life, and to have our souls and our lives rejuvenated in you. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're new to St. John's this morning, you need to know that there's a whole story that goes behind this church. It's a story that's fantastic. You, you may never know it unless someone tells you read the story that Dr. Heidi's grandfather, Pastor A.C. Bodie, was one of the men who knit this church back together with pastoral love and care. And that after five years of hard work, Dr. Heidi's grandfather finally said the church is going to be okay. There's stories that go in and out of this church that are amazing. Things that happen that are, are written in the walls and the windows that the people who've been around for a long time know and that the people who, who landed here, they, they continue to write that story. The story of St. John's Lutheran Church. And the farther my hairline recedes and the grayer my hair gets on the side, the more I appreciate and love the stories of church and family and community. It makes makes a difference. A story has something to add to your soul and to your heart. And then to be a part of that collective story is, is, a, is a wonderful thing, a marvelous piece for your faith and for your life in Jesus. Yesterday, I was with my mom after a funeral here, and she was in the early service so I can speak a little more freely that she's not here unless she's sneaking in. Or but we sat with my mom and my brother and sister and my wife and my nephew Joel up at a pizza place in Yorba Linda yesterday celebrating my brother's 52nd birthday. And we started telling stories. And it's interesting how the story of our family becomes more intricate and more detailed the older we get. My, my mom's a little freer with the dysfunctional parts of our family. And uh, there, there, there's not kind of this Germanic, we can't tell because you'll think there's... There's a little bit more free flow to the story and stuff that I never understood about where I came from. But I'm fascinated by it. Fascinated to hear the story of a great-grandfather who worked on the rail line and how that all ended out not so good for my grandma. I love those stories because that's the story that shapes me and my wife and our children. And my children, our children, they love a story. And as a father, I love to tell those stories. I remember when our kids were little, we bought a trailer. We had very little money. And, and Mr. Bredehoff, if you remember Mr. Bredehoff, he, he was principal of the school here for a while. And then my principal at Lutheran High, Charlie remembers. And Willis and Betty sold me their old trailer. And it was old. But he gave him $1,000 for it. And he let me pay it off $100 a month until finally I had it paid off. And I thought I was going to die giving that $100 a month to Mr. Bradoff. So I repacked the bearings and cleaned it up and fixed the things that need to be fixed that I could do. And hooked it onto the back of an old Isuzu Rodeo and drug it to Zion National Park. It was our first step out of, of camping, out of a tent. And if you've ever been to Zion National Park, you know how beautiful it is. 
right on the bottom of the campground, the Virgin River running right through, the sound of the river on the rocks and the shore, the sound of the, the wind rushing through the trees, the shh. It was beautiful. And our kids were little, maybe maybe seven and three. They were, they were little, and, and, and that's a long drive for little people from uh, Orange County through Vegas and Mesquite up into Zion. And, and so we cut them loose as we got there, and they ran around. And, and by the time dinner time came, they were covered with dirt and caked in mud. And, and we just kind of hosed them off and squeegeed them off with Windex or whatever and, and uh, put them in their sleeping bags. And then after a period of time of using those sleeping bags, we burned them, and they were just gross. But if you camp, you know what I mean. You know that story. If, if, if you camp, you, you smell the campfire with remember making s'mores and the, the, the sound of the sugar burning on the outside of the marshmallow and the marshmallow being all over the children and the chocolate melting all around and how good that tasted and how much fun that was. Love that story. I remember waking up first that morning because I'm the first one up typically and uh, I took the little flap down on the side just to see what was going on. And about from me to Leah was a deer. And the deer was just sitting there, a yearling, eating leaves off the tree by the river. And as I rustled, Barb got up and she looked out. And as we rustled, the kids got up and looked out. And it seemed like that moment lasted for hours. But it was probably moments until we made a noise and the deer looked up and slowly just kind of jaunted into the forest. You can smell it. You may be able to taste the s'mores. That's my story. Each one of you represents a story like that that marks your family. And that when your children or your grandchildren sit on your lap and say, Papa, tell me a story. You, you have a story to tell. And in telling that story, you draw people close to yourself in a way that nothing else will do other than a story. In our text this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 10, that's the story. The story of the family of faith. The story when God came down and, 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 and looked at Abraham and said, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars of the sky and the sand on the beach. I'm going to give you a family that you can't understand, but I'm only going to give you one son to start. God said to Abraham, the theme of this story is this promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. And God said, it's not going to be easy. The story's going to have ups and downs. It's going to have ebbs and flows. There's going to be life and death. There's going to be freedom and captivity. There's going to be all sorts of stuff. But trust me on this. At the end of the day, we're going, to, we're going to work that theme. I will be your God and you will be my people. We're going to work that out. And ultimately, I'm going to send my son. And he's not just going to have a chapter in the story. He's going to be the main character. And he will deliver to you a closeness to me, your God, that no people in the history of the world writing any story will ever be able to supplant. 
I'm going to seal my love for you in the blood of my son, Jesus the Christ. And from Abraham's descendants are going to come, is going to come, that Savior. And so God got to work in story, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of the patriarchs, the kings, the judges, all of the stuff, good, bad, and indifferent, until the perfect time where God called his son into the story to bring light and love and salvation and peace with God for you and me. Jesus ties that all together. Without him, the story is just kind of pages that scatter about. But with him, the whole piece is tied together. I love that. I will be your God, he says, and you will be my people. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, the Jewish young people learned that word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And Jesus adds, and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, man. First love God, then love neighbor. First, first God, and then neighbor. If you have any familiarity with chores, if you, if you grew up and you had to do stuff in the family, you know exactly what's going on. I remember going to my dad and saying, I don't want to clean up the dog stuff in the backyard anymore. It's kind of gross and it's not my dog. And my dad said two things. He said, if you think you can get a better shake somewhere else, you know, you're free to go. And I was probably a fourth grader. I said, yeah, I'll find a better place. This is terrible. I'm taking a bed. Slave labor. Are you kidding me? And my dad said, as a part and a function of this family, there's responsibility that goes with it. And you don't need to be paid dollars and cents. You need to contribute to the family. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks. First love God and then love people. And from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19, these words, and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners and aliens in Egypt. First love God, then love people. Another smart guy came up and talked to Jesus and said, okay, I, I got a question for you. Who's my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself and make himself look smart as if he had the list of questions and he was going to smoke Jesus that day. And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. I got a, I got a story for you about a, a, a Samaritan who, and a Levite and a religious guy. And after all is said and done, who's the neighbor to the guy who's beat up? Jesus illustrates who the neighbor is and what being a neighbor is all about. There's a pastor who preached a better sermon on this with me, and I'd like to defer, I'd like to defer this little piece to him. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, 
what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is, if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. Let us rise up tonight with a greater readiness. Let us stand with a greater determination. And let us move on. In these powerful days, these days of challenge, to make America what it ought to be, we have an opportunity to make America a better nation. Amen. Dr. King does a better job than Pastor Klinkenberg on that one. It's not about what happens to us if we help our neighbor, but what happens to our neighbor if we don't help our neighbor. My sense is that's the question before the church of the 21st century. What will our neighborhoods be like and if we consider ourselves neighbors to those around whom we live, what ought we to do? There was a gentleman named Max Campbellman, and in a book called The Next Christians by a young man named Gabe Lyons, a great book if you want to reach out and think about what your grandchildren or children are thinking. Max Campbellman was a conscientious objector during World War II and Gabe Lyons, the author of the book, had been invited into a, a part of the Hoover Institute think tank during the Reagan administration. And Max Kempelman was there, and it was there that these two men met. Kempelman gave a, a talk and, and, and was invited to participate in a topic titled, What Should the Christian Position Be on Nuclear Weapons in a Post-Cold War Era? As a conscientious objector, Max Kempelman was brought into what was called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. Now, the Minnesota Starvation Experiment was uh, people were starved and then kind of brought back to vitality. And what the hope was, was to figure out was how to bring vitality and nutrition back to the people of war-torn Europe. And what was the best way to do that? So for 11 months, Campbellman subjected himself to the physical rigors of controlled starvation to help and restore the vitality of those who had been so harmed in the Second World War. After listening for a number of hours to a number of speakers, Campbellman rose up to speak and he said these words. We must recognize the power of the ought. It's the power to change the world. We can't just see the world in terms of how it is today or we will always feel defeated, he said passionately. But when we see the world in terms of how things ought to be, we can dream for the impossible 
and work to see the impossible become a reality. For our generation of family and church, perhaps we ought to focus on the ought. The ought should be the prism through which we see our mission and our ministry here in the smack dab middle of Old Town Orange, here in the smack dab middle of Orange County. What ought we to do with the resources of facilities and people and dollars? And how can those be mobilized to make a difference in the lives of our neighbors? Share the gospel as we go. It's the gospel that inspires and motivates and drives us to be good neighbors. How ought we to be relationally when people are so isolated? Or how ought we to intervene in the lives of the homeless in Orange County, in LA County, in San Diego County, in all of Southern California? How ought we to address and intervene among the homeless community? And how ought our neighbors be served by us? The power of the ought compels us and inspires us to love our neighbors in a whole different way and with a whole different level of unselfishness. Kind of how the Samaritan reached out and was a neighbor to the man who was beaten. How ought Old Town to look with St. John's at the center of it? Dr. King said, instead of thinking about how my neighbor and helping him affects me, we ought to think about how I could benefit my neighbor. And what will that story look like at St. John's Lutheran Church? How will that unfold? How will the next chapters look? What will it be like to be a neighbor for St. John's? What profound resources do we bring to bear in our own community? And how will people see Jesus and be served by the neighbor that is our congregation our individual people and our families. And again, how ought our neighborhood to look? I have a lot of uh, stuff for you to do on that today because I don't think today's the day to line everyone up and sign the people up to work. And I don't think it's about cleaning up trash at Hart Park, although that's a nice thing to do with our resources and with our position in this community, we can make an impact that honestly nobody else can make. And I think we ought to grind on that for the next weeks and maybe for a couple of months. We ought to grind on that in our hearts and in our brains. Not asking the question of the culture, what's in it for me, but asking the question, how can I be a good and that story, you guys, that story is yet to be written. But each one of you is a character in that story. Each one of you is a neighbor. Each one of you is a child of God. And with such a marvelous cast of characters, resourced in such a powerful way, at such a catalytic time, what will our story be? And how will the next chapters play out. I say as a church, we grind on that for a couple months. 
come together to the reality and the realization of what God would have us do. First, love God. Then love your neighbor. First, first, love God. And then love your neighbor. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our church's story uh, goes way back. And we've been in this spot, in this sanctuary for over a hundred years. And the community has changed around us. We pray that you would grant us wisdom as we grind on this. I, I pray that you would put a, a, almost a sense of discontent in us. Not that we're discontent with one another or ourselves or you, but, but, but that we're discontent about the way things are and that having been resourced so powerfully at, at, at a catalytic place and at a catalytic time, that you would lead us to those places where we could be good neighbors, that our brains and our hearts would churn and spin as the man's did in Luke 10 about what it would take and what it would cost and how he could be a good neighbor, not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of the one who needed his neighborliness and needed his love. Thank you for a powerful morning of worship, for an opportunity to listen, to sing, to have our souls rejuvenated and blessed by your word and your spirit. Be with us then as we continue to reach out to you and as you continue to unfold the story of your grace in this marvelous congregation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.